Our Old Testament reading today is from Exodus 6 and 7. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am speaking to you. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, Since I am a poor speaker, why would Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and they became snakes. But Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. He of whom you say he is our God, though you do not know him. But I know him. If I would say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We have been looking at quite an epic story, and we've titled for this sermon series, um, Exodus, Living the Story of God's Rescue and Recreation. 
And this, we are, I mean, we're still early days in the story. And although we have a lot of dramatic things that are going on in this chapter and the next couple chapters, it's not the climax yet, because the climax is going to come in 13 more chapters later. So we still have a ways to go to, the, to get to the big climatic event. But it's already been a very dramatic story in that we've been looking at the character of God and how God is revealing himself and how God is revealing what his mission is. And so with every chapter, we can ask, what is this showing us about who God is and how God is on mission to save the world? And because Exodus is a big, um, is a book that likes to reach back and connect back to Genesis, we really see that this mission that God is on is that he is the creator God who is using his creation and remarkably using people to go about redeeming those who love him. And we spent three weeks in this series looking at that very wild conversation, the, the back and forth between Moses and God in the wilderness at the bush that was on fire but was not being consumed. And this conversation is so dramatic because it's in this conversation that God reiterates his character. And he says, I am who I am, or I am who I will be, or I will be who I am. It's this very flexible name that God gives that is so beautiful and so dramatic. And the I am invites Moses, is calling Moses, and then invites Moses to participate in this mission with him. It's remarkable. God can do this on his own, but he invites Moses to participate with him. And Moses, although quite reluctantly, eventually does um, decide to go. And he goes and he speaks to Pharaoh, and the conversation doesn't go nearly as much as he would have hoped or planned. And we're face-to-face -face with the idea that sometimes, even as we believe in God's redemptive plan, the reality of what we're experiencing in life seems to go against the redemptive promises of God. And so there's a regathering, Moses and God come back together again. And we, the readers, go, why, why couldn't you just do it quickly, easily, the first time? And God, in chapter 6, is going to reiterate part of what his character is all about. I'm the God who hears the cries of my people. I remember the covenant that I have with your ancestors I see you and I know. And because of that, I am the God who is going to free you, who is going to rescue you, who is going to redeem you, who is going to bring you in and make you part of my own family. And that alone is astounding. We should, like, if we really were just to dwell on that, what does it mean to be invited to belong, to be in God's family? That's amazing, but that's actually not the period at the end of the sentence, because God goes on to say, and I'm going to do all of this so that you may know I am the I am. And knowing my character is the thing I'm trying to reveal to you. And it's, it's so beautiful because it is God saying, I'm going to act and behave and be... Um, 
the initiator of all of these acts and this dramatic redemption. And then I'm going to ask you to realize who it is that I am. It's not just have faith in something that you don't know quite yet. And then if your faith is big enough, then I'll act. It's the actions and because of the actions and God's revelation, he's asking for his people to respond and know him by his personal name, the I am. So now we're ready for our chapters. And we see that this mission is going to be renewed and the story continues and we are ready for yet another conversation with Pharaoh. And it starts out where God is going to speak to Moses again and they're in Egypt. And in verse 29, he said to him, I am the Lord. And if you realize in the bulletin, this is Lord, all capital letters, Lord which is the I am. And this should, in fact, I, I sometimes don't like the fact that we're reading in English because sometimes we read Lord and we're like, Lord, you know, I mean, that's nice. That's a nice, and sometimes it's Lord, capital L, but normal letters. And then sometimes it's Lord, all capital letters, and our eyes move over and we read them both the same, but we are not supposed to read them both the same way. And I would encourage you, even like if you have a pen, go through your bulletin, circle every time it's Lord, all capital letters, and read it as I am. The personal name, the God who is personal to Israel, who is known by the ancestors and is making himself known to the people. We may also recognize that as God says, go and tell Pharaoh, I am the I am. Tell Pharaoh that, or tell Pharaoh everything I'm going to speak to you. And we may think of chapter five in verse two when Moses went the first time to Pharaoh and said, the great I am is saying you should let his people go. And Pharaoh goes, who is this I am? I don't know this I am, and I will not obey this I am. And we all collectively listen to the heavenly realm gasp at the offense of one who is so prideful to say such a thing. And here God is going, okay, go back to Pharaoh and say, but I am. And because I am, I'm going to continue this conversation with you and you are going to let my people go. Moses, like the first time he was called, protests a bit. How is it that this is possible um, in this particular translation, it says, I am a poor speaker. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? And then we get God once again revealing what his mission is going to be. And I would say, pay attention. I mean, the first part of this is really nice. It's kind of an outline of the prophetic role within Israel. God speaks to the prophet who is the mouthpiece, who is then speaking those words to the people. And God is saying, this is exactly what we are going to do, but with Pharaoh. And then he continues and he says in verse three, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And if we read this in combination with those last verses of chapter six, where Moses is protesting because he's a poor speaker, we can almost hear God say, you're right. Pharaoh is not going to be convinced by what you are saying, but this is not because of you and because you're inadequate. 
In fact, I am going to use the stubbornness of Pharaoh to then multiply and uh, demonstrate my active presence among my people. But God goes on. Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company out of the land of Egypt by great acts and judgments. And verse 5 is one I think we really need to focus on and pay attention to. And God says, it's because the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So these works that I am doing, my activity that is in their midst is so that they know I am that I am. And I find this interesting because we're just coming out of chapter six where God is saying, I'm going to redeem you. I have this covenant. I'm freeing you. I'm, I am acting in these great powerful ways so that you may know I am that I am my people. But now we see God is doing it not just for the Israelites, not just because God has this covenant that he is fulfilling. He's doing it on a much bigger and broader level, we suddenly see God's mission is actually quite large because it's not just the redemption of his people, but it's to show himself and reveal himself so the Egyptians too can come to know that God is the I am. There's something quite remarkable to me about this. I think we focus so much on God as the God of the Israelites and we forget that God is the God of the Israelites asking the Israelites to go on mission with him so that the entire world can be redeemed. And this is just one of those moments where we see the heart, the expansive heart of who God is and what it is that he is wanting to do. And as we read through, we're not together going to go through all the plague narratives, but if we went through all of the plagues, we would see this whole idea of so that you may know, so that they may know, so that Pharaoh will know, so the Egyptians will know. This is repeated eight times, emphasizing over and over again what it is that God's goal is. The signs and the wonders that he's doing among the Egyptians is so that they will know the I am, the way that Israel is going to experience the I am. So we see, I mean, if we're reading the entirety of this book of Exodus as we've been doing, we see that God self-reveals himself to a certain extent um, at the burning bush and Moses recognizes who God is. And now God is going to do this self-revelation in the midst of Egypt through the plagues. So then we move and we get to the very next conversation between Aaron, Moses, and Pharaoh. And this is going to also trigger memories of chapter four, because once again, we have God that is going to tell them, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. This is all, I mean, all of these words, it's uh, when we put it, I mean, it's Israelite text, but when we put it within an Egyptian context, we understand there's something quite remarkable about what God is doing because the staff is something that the pharaohs were often pictured with. They were holding the staff and it's a sign of authority. And the snake is something that was often depicted on the crown or the headpiece that the pharaoh had had on. 
Um, and this snake was the goddess of the delta, the Nile Delta, so the lower part of Egypt. And she was supposed to represent this, define, this um, divine sovereignty that the Pharaoh has over his land. And so we have this first engagement, this first working of signs to be something that is already a challenge to Pharaoh's authority and a challenge to Pharaoh who thinks of himself as divine or given the divine right to be ruling. And so this is going to be this big sign and Aaron can take his staff and throw it down on the ground without any incantations or special magical formulas. Pharaoh is going to call his magicians and his people who will use incantations and magic arts to do something similar. And this is something very fun because I never realized this until I did all of this research this week about this particular passage. But snake charmers can pinch the very back of a snake's head, especially the head of the cobras that are common to Egypt. And they can get them to go into a catatonic state so that they look like a rod. So if you pinch their head and they look like a rod, then it looks like you have a staff. And when you toss the snake onto the ground and it, it uh, has the impact on the ground, it kind of releases them from their catatonic state. So it's a little bit of this interesting trickery that is potentially going on here with Pharaoh's men, except then Aaron's staff totally consumes their snakes. And again, we have the who is the divine power, who is at work here. And then we get to the very last part where Pharaoh, although seeing this sign, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In other translations, we could say Pharaoh's heart stiffened, that it toughened or that it remained strong-willed. So this is an interesting thing that we can say. Let's, uh, we can deal with this conundrum that is available in this chapter, but we're going to see it throughout all the plagues. What do we do with a God who says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart? And then what do we do with a Pharaoh who hardens his own heart? And these two things go side by side. God hardens his heart and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And how can both of those things be true? If we read the, the whole literary structure of what is coming next in the plague narratives, which I highly recommend that you do, paying attention to um, heart and who is hardening whose heart and who is watching and seeing what it is that God is revealing. We find that through the first five plagues, it is Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. And in the four following plagues, it is God who is hardening Pharaoh's heart, or is at least turning Pharaoh over to his hard heart. Now this too is something that is really interesting when we put it in an Egyptian context. Because the Egyptians in a lot of the pyramids, in the places where they buried at least the elite who could afford such incredible burial complexes, we have all of these pictures of what happens in the afterlife. And the Egyptians had what we call the Book of the Dead. And the whole idea was what happens when you die? And it was said that the person who dies, their heart is put on a scale weighed against the, um, a feather. And all of the gods, this heavenly realm, sat there and watched. 
And if the person was righteous, then their heart would stay level with the weight of the feather. And if the person was hard-hearted or evil, the feather could not outweigh this heart. So there is something about Pharaoh hardening his own heart that is showing us there's a moral decay that is going on in the heart of Pharaoh. And at some point, God turns Pharaoh over to his own stubbornness and his own choices. Although God is going to use the stubbornness of Pharaoh's heart in order to exemplify the signs and the wonders so that maybe Pharaoh won't ever recognize who God is, but the Egyptians certainly will. And when you read through the plague narrative, it starts with only God's people recognizing God. And as the plagues go on, by about the third plague and the fourth plague, we see Egyptians starting to respond as well. This is the God of Israel. This I am is more powerful than our gods. We have to mention, too, that the plagues that come up in the following chapters— are not just physical signs of God's amazing character. It is also something that is talking about the, the struggle in the spiritual realm. Because each of these plagues are something that we can identify with some of the Egyptian gods. Everyone has different opinions on exactly which gods because some of these plagues seem to apply to several of the Egyptian gods. But what we have is a stripping away of that which looks to be powerful and stripping away its false authority in order to highlight the true power of the living God. And this is something that I think is just remarkable because we see Pharaoh as his gods and as he, as a divinely appointed leader, never wants to accept the divine revelation of who the living God is, who the I am is. And yet the people are going to be called to do that. And so as we look at this chapter, there's something interesting to me about the God who redeems. And we've been talking about this God of redemption this whole time we've been in Exodus, about this characteristic of God who will reach in to all of us who are entrapped and who knows different things that feel oppressive to us. And this God of redemption can pull us out of that and bring us into his family so that we belong with him. I think there's also value to being able to turn and get a different point of view, which this chapter is a nice invitation to, because this chapter is focusing very specifically on Pharaoh and on Egypt. So I think we have an opportunity to change our point of view and say, well, what do we do and how do we respond to the God who reveals his power, who reveals who he is? and therefore reveals the inadequacies of the things that we prioritize in our life. What happens when God reveals himself and we realize that money shouldn't be everything? When God reveals himself and we realize that our physical comfort does not equal our happiness? When God reveals himself and we realize the way that we've chosen to live our lives in the world is actually oppressing other people? And then God asks us to respond and to change. So yes, the God of redemption, but also the God of revelation. 
And this God of revelation asks for a proper response. And we're going to see in the story of the Exodus that part of this response is being asked to change. It's going to be um, to join God on his mission. It's going to be the really hard and usually very painful part of reordering our own priorities and how we're living our lives. There's something massively uncomfortable about being the preacher on even any given week because I live under the spotlight of a passage for the whole time that I'm studying it. And this part has been really hard because I feel like all week long, God is going, and this is something you should give up. And this is something that's going to change. And this is something that is probably not exactly what I would want it to be because I'm asking you to go on mission with me and I am going to redeem you. And part of that redemption is not just escaping the things that we are uncomfortable with or parts of our lives that are inconvenient or the people who are inconvenient nearly as much as being redeemed for a purpose. And the purpose calls for change, for a reordering of our lives, and ultimately for the freedom to become who God really wants us to be so that we are most effective on mission with him. And so I just would encourage you to live under the spotlight of this particular passage all week, maybe reread it several times, or maybe reread the plagues, circle Lord, all capital letters, and see what Lord, the great I am, is revealing as his character and how he is asking people to respond to who he is. Will you pray with me? Holy God, you are powerful, you are majestic, you are holy. You are greater in ways than, more great than we can really imagine. We often put things that are inadequate in place of you, not always meaning to, but as a force of habit or as a force of living in the culture that we live in. We're being busy, being successful, being smart and intelligent, being wealthy are the things that we prioritize. But it's not what you prioritize in being your people. But you prioritize being completely free and redeemed from that which is oppressing us. And you prioritize inviting us and giving us a place to belong in your family. And you prioritize the redemption of the whole world, not just our clan or our group that we tend to be especially fond of. And you prioritize us getting to know you as the great I am. And as this week goes on, Lord, I pray that we have the eyes to see you revealing yourself, that we have the courage to respond, that we have the courage to potentially reorder our lives so that it honors who you are. And in the name of Jesus, we pray.